Welcome to episode 26 of the Fire Safety Matters podcast, where we bring you the latest news, views and opinion from across the UK's dedicated fire industry. My name's Brian Sims and I'm the editor of Fire Safety Matters magazine. We're delighted that this podcast is sponsored by the Fire Safety Event, which runs at the NEC in Birmingham on the 25th, 26th and 27th of April 2023. To register for the show, visit www.firesafetyevent, that's all one word, firesafetyevent.com. As always, I'm joined on the Fire Safety Matters podcast by my colleague Mark Sennett, the CEO at Western Business Media. Morning, Mark. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks, Brian. Uh, this is one of the rare times we've actually been in the same room as each other to do a podcast because uh, not that anyone can see us when we do this, but we are the morning after the night before, so to speak. It's the morning after the first ever Fire and Security Matters Awards, and we're still here at the Coventry Building Society uh, Arena. A little bit worse for wear, but it was a fantastic night, and uh, I know we'll talk about that in a bit. But how are you feeling this morning, Brian? Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you, Mark. It was a great night. The first one for us, as you know, is the awards and uh, went particularly well. Over 400 guests, I think it's tremendous for a first event, to be frank, yes. Absolutely. We'll we'll talk about that in a bit more detail because it really was a a fantastic night. Um, But as always, we open up the podcast by just doing a little bit of housekeeping, really. So we obviously hope that you're familiar with Fire Safety Matters. But if you're not and you're just finding us to whoever you listen to your podcast or on YouTube, then we're more than just a podcast. If you go to our website, which is fsmatters.com, you can see all the latest news, prosecutions, products and services and a huge archive of CBD accredited webinars in there. So we've also got a jobs board on there in the FSM Careers Hub, which is the Fire and Security Careers Hub, with all the latest training courses from associations like ASFP, CTEC, FIA, um, Tavcom, to name but a few. So go to fsmatters.com or just Google or put any search engine, Fire Safety Matters, and we will come up. And, you know, it, it's a great way to see CPD accredited content. You can also sign up to get our magazine for free, which comes out four times a year. The fifth issue is the Fire Industry Association UK Guide to Fire Safety, which you can see digitally as well. And you can sign up to get it for free, as I said. And, of course, on top of that, you could sign up to our weekly e-newsletter that now goes to over 70,000 of you. It's phenomenal how many people have uh, signed up. So thank you. And if you're not getting that e-newsletter, it's completely free to do so. Just go to fsmatters.com. But if this is your first time to the podcast, welcome. We always start off with a bit of news. This particular edition is a little bit different because we're together and <laughs> we we wanted to do a little bit something different. So normally we have Warren Spencer, who is um, the leading fire safety prosecutor in the UK. Warren will be back for the next podcast. We actually wanted to focus on some news stories, the awards, and a really fascinating Q&A we did with Advance on the back of their webinar. So that's what today's agenda is. But I want to start off, as always, with the news. And particularly interesting story that Brian wrote up on this. And if you want to have a look on our website for the full story, all you need to do is go on the website and search Building Safety Bill Amendments, and the headline is Building Safety Bill Amendment Challenged by Industry Expert. So this industry expert is someone I know rather well, and um, an amendment to the Building Safety Bill, which removes the requirement for landlords to appoint building safety managers in leasehold buildings of seven storeys and above, is being challenged by a leading tall buildings fire safety expert. The government has presented several amendments to the Building Safety Bill, 
as the document progresses through the House of Lords to its report stage. The most notable is the removal of clauses 82 to 86, which relate to the appointment of the building safety manager, who had a significant role to manage part four building safety risk for higher risk buildings, as outlined in clauses 60 to 81 with the latter remaining in place. So this expert that's um, really not happy about it is someone we know well, someone we've had on podcasts in the past, and digital comments is Russ Timpson. And Russ is a former firefighter and now managing director of the Tall Buildings Fire Safety Network. And he's urging the government to reconsider this. He wants them to reconsider its decision to scrap the recommendations first proposed by Dame Judith Hackett in the wake of the Grenfell Tower tragedy, which ends in June 2017. So Russ says... The latest iteration of the all-important Building Safety Bill states that responsibility for fire safety will now fall squarely on the shoulders of an accountable person, such as the freeholder, head leasee, or a management company. While the exact details regarding how this might be invented are scant at this point, a dramatic rolling back of the proposals would be out of step with the Hackett proposals and is something which must be avoided. Russ went on to say, in my view, it's abundantly clear that when it comes to health and safety, an accountable person must, above all, be a qualified person. In other words, someone with the knowledge, skills and competencies to actively tackle and reduce fire safety risks amid what is now an increasingly complex threat environment. Now, I know Russ very, very well. I mean, he's been a fantastic supporter of Fire Safety Matters, spoken on webinars, I mentioned earlier, written articles for us. I don't think there's anyone more qualified to talk about this than Russ, in my opinion. So I'm not going to sit here and try and pick apart what he says. Also, because I agree with it, Brian, to be quite frank. Uh, Russ's core point here, Brian, is that why on earth are we stripping out the one person that can actively and from a qualified point of view assess fire safety risks? Putting this on a management company or a leaseholder, whoever is deemed, inverted commas, the accountable person, Ross is saying is a massive, massive risk because they are not fire safety experts. And, you know, and they're not building safety experts necessarily either. And I can't disagree with him, Brian. I, I, I don't understand the need to pull this out. I do hear from people that are close to this that, Effectively, there's a real rush to get this building safety bill through. They want it through and in place. I think it's by the end of the summer, Brian. It's imminent they want this in. And, you know, it'd be very well worth people actually listening to a webinar that you just did uh, just earlier this week, in fact, with Turner and Townsend, which was the impacts of the building safety bill. It's completely free for you to watch. Just go to fsmatters.com or Google Fire Safety Matters, click on the webinars tab, and the second one down is impacts of the building safety bill. And, you know, that covered this, actually, to be fair, and large parts of what the impacts, obviously, of the building safety bill will be. But, you know, as I said, Russ is as qualified a person as possible to talk about this. I've talked about this topic before, Brian, and I remember before Grenfell, Russ said to me in private, and he said it publicly too, it's going to take a major tragedy in this country for actually to be some real change. And with the building safety bill, there's the opportunity for real legislative change. And it can't be watered down. Life safety and property protection have to be at the core of this legislation. And I agree with Russ, stripping that aspect out is unnecessary and, and puts unnecessary risk. I think there's something you'd like to add to that as well, isn't there, Brian? 
Yeah, there is indeed, Mark. A couple of quotes from Russ himself and also one from Candace Miller. Um, according to Russ, the Grenfell disaster, in tandem with other high-risk building fires, highlighted the need for more expertise in this area, not less when it comes to tackling incidents and improving fire safety. There's not many people who disagree with that assertion, Mark. Um, Russ also says, my hope is that government acts swiftly to ensure anyone who assumes responsibility for fire safety in tall buildings will be suitably qualified once the building safety bill eventually passes into law. An accountable person must be a qualified person. A very important point again there, Mark. Uh, Candace Miller, I mentioned there, is Executive Director of SFJ Awards, the awarding organisation which certificates a wide range of fire safety qualifications in the UK, including those of the Tall Building Fire Safety Network itself. And she stated it's fundamentally important that anyone who's put in charge of tall building fire safety has undergone specialist training, which is backed up by recognised qualification. Further, Candace observed, a change in legislation is an opportunity to professionalise and raise standards. The tailored training product provided by the Tall Building Fire Safety Network has undergone a rigorous accreditation process and is a key stepping stone towards achieving those dual goals. So I'd like to continue now, if I may, Mark, with the news and another major story, in fact. Um, the government has outlined the diesel underpinning a wide-ranging agreement that will see industry contribute £5 billion towards addressing the building safety scandal. In what's been described as a victory for leaseholders, Michael Gove, the Secretary of State for Levelling Up Housing and Communities, has agreed a solution with the housing industry that will see developers commit a minimum of £2 billion to fix their own buildings. Industry will also pay up to a further £3 billion through an expansion of the building safety levy. Under the new agreement, Mark, which will become legally enforceable, over 35 of the UK's biggest home builders have placed to fix all buildings of 11 metres tall and above, in which they've played a role in developing across the last three decades. Now, the developers who've signed on the dotted line so far are Avant, Ballymore, Barrett, Belway, Barclay, Bewley, Bloor, Carla, Churchill Retirement, CG Fry, Countryside, Crudas, Davidson's, Fairview, Gleeson, The Hill Group, Gelson, Keepmote Homes, Tillia, Lion Court Homes, London Square, Lovell, Matt Taggart and Mickle, McCarthy and Stone, Miller Homes, Morris Homes, Persimmon, Redrow, Roland Homes, Strata, St Modwin, Taylor Wimpy and the Vistry Group, as well as Wayne Homes and William Davis. And Chris Nicholson has also signalled his intent to do so, Mark. But the company's yet to make the pledge. The Secretary of State has also confirmed there's little time left for them to sign up and that those who continue to refuse will face consequences if they fail to do so. As set out back in January, Mark, a new government scheme will also see industry pay to fix buildings where those responsible cannot be identified or otherwise forced in law to do so. This follows previous confirmation that plans for a 30-year land scheme paid for by leaseholders would be scrapped. The new scheme will be funded through an extension, as I said, to the building safety levy that will be chargeable on all new residential buildings here in England. This is expected to raise up to an additional estimated £3 billion over 10 years from developers and ensure no leaseholder in medium-rise buildings faces crippling bills, even in those circumstances when the developer cannot be traced. New proposed laws announced in February under the Building Safety Bill itself will ensure qualifying leaseholders are protected from the cost of historical building safety defects, including total protection against cladding costs. The new deal establishes that the industry responsible and not innocent leaseholders will pay. And a quote from Michael Gove here, Mark, he's commented that this announcement marks a significant step towards protecting innocent leaseholders and ensuring that those responsible pay to solve the crisis they help to cause. I welcome the move by many of the largest developers to do the right thing, but this is just the beginning. We will do whatever it takes to hold industry to account. Under our new measures, there will be nowhere to hide. 
So what are your views on this one, Mark? It's obviously quite an emotive issue. It is an emotive issue. I think uh, Mr Gove would probably want us to focus the story on, and it would be a much shorter story on, who isn't signed up to support this because that's an extensive list that we just went through and you know if you want to read this story in full again go to our website fsmatters.com and just search major developers sign agreement to fund building safety repairs or just if you want to short of that major developers sign agreement and you'll find it it is an emotive topic brian and before i give my two cents i'm just going to carry on a little bit with it if that's okay so the pledge published by the government commits developers who signed up to illegally binding contracts to implement their promises as soon as possible. The detailed agreement confirms developers will act as quickly as possible to fix buildings, implement new proportionate guidance on building safety, regularly report to leaseholders and government on their progress, respect an independent dispute resolution process established by the government, and also refund money already received from the taxpayer to fix their buildings. The government is introducing new powers that could be enforced on a developer should they breach the agreement, as well as on any remaining companies who fail to sign up. These new powers would allow the Secretary of State, Mr Gove, to block those who refuse to sign from building and selling new homes. And that's a key thing I'm going to come back to. The government is clear that the Building Safety Bill is an industry-wide issue. Cladding and installation manufacturers are yet to accept their share of responsibility to come forward with a proposal, says the government. The latest announcement follows a statement from Michael Gove in January when he set out a four-point plan to reset the approach towards building safety and give leaseholders more protection against unfair costs. The Building Safety Levy will be chargeable on new residential buildings of all heights. Leaseholders will be contacted by the developer in due course to confirm whether their building is covered or not. So, quite a bit to digest here, Brian. Yeah, it is an emotive topic. I, I think it's good news, you know, and, and, and it's good to see developers taking responsibility for this rather than just a burden on the taxpayer. Uh, I'm particularly interested in that line that I said at the end, saying that these new powers would allow the Secretary of State to block those who refuse to sign um, from onto this building, it would stop them from building and selling new homes. That's going to be the key crux of the issue here. If they don't sign up and then they're blocked from uh, building anything, they don't have a business, Brian. Um, so I suspect everyone will fall in line whether they want to or not. But from my perspective, it's relatively short. I, I do support the government stance on this. I don't want to see the taxpayers um, uh, paying for all of this. Um, yeah, there are many reasons for that, apart from the obvious that you, you would hope and expect that um, buildings of this nature are, are safe. And I certainly don't want to push it onto the poor, unfair um, tenants of these buildings, the property, the property owners of it. It, it. it just doesn't seem fair at all. So I do want to see accountability taken by the developers. And this seems like it's going to make it happen. And you can see the huge amount, the long, long list you read through um of who's jumped on from a property developer point of view to support this. So I do think it's a good move. I do support the government on it. And I think we are very close to it just being widespread accepted by developers. I, I will be fascinated, though, if there are any, the few that remain outstanding, don't sign up to this because I'm pretty sure Gove will come on down on them like a ton of bricks to make an example out of them. And I suspect at that point, everybody else, if that happens, once an example has been made, anybody else that hasn't signed up, will quickly sign up, and I'd applaud the government for that. 
So, Brian, before we go into our next couple of news stories, just take a pause here for a minute. because It seems like a very relevant time to talk about the latest edition of Fire Safety Matters, particularly on the back of the last two news stories. You've just gone to press with the issue that will come out in early May, and it is packed full of passive fire protection content and much, much more. So why don't you uh, give a little taster of what people can expect from the magazine for us? Yes, indeed, Mark. As you say, we've just passed for press in the May print edition of Fire Safety Matters. It's a 76-page issue, so yes, another bumper read. Some great features in there, including dedicated articles, as you mentioned, on passive fire protection, residential premises, and also firefighting, Mark. There's lots of content, in fact, on the Building Safety Bill, and also PAS 9980 2022 which obviously is tied in with this topic. Uh, the companies who contributed some really excellent thought leadership articles this time around include Chubb Fire and Security, the ASFP, ACO, Tetra Tech, Fire Angel, and also BAFE. There's also a write-up mark of the recent webinar focused on BS8629 involving Ken Bullock as Advanced and Steve Dillaway from Veritas Fire Support Services. And also, and as you mentioned, Mark, We've just run a webinar focused on the Building Safety Bill that featured subject matter experts from Turner and Townsend and CBRE. The pre-registration numbers for this one were fantastic, Mark, with 1,500 practitioners signing up to watch ahead of the broadcast. We also received over 80 questions during the hour-long event, which is phenomenal. Uh, for anyone who missed that broadcast, as Mark said, they can watch it on, de on demand by visiting our website at www.fsmatters.com and clicking on the webinars tab. So the next news story now, Mark, this is quite an emotive one as well, actually. It's about the Ukraine. Uh, a further convoy of UK fire and rescue service kit and equipment has now left the UK and is on its way to Ukraine to provide vital support for Ukrainian firefighters who are diligently and bravely dealing with the throes of war, of course. The convoy, which is supported by the Home Office, has been organised by UK charity FireAid and International Development, the National Fire Chiefs Council and indeed the wider fire sector, Mark. This second deployment to provide life-saving kit and equipment is even larger than the previous one, in fact, which itself was sent last month, with an amazing 21 vehicles making this journey. Uh, fire and rescue services from across the country have all donated firefighting equipment requested by Ukraine to assist the nation's fire and rescue service as its brave personnel continue their life-saving work in the most difficult conditions you can possibly imagine. The latest figures show that 100 fire stations and 250 fire engines, Mark, have been destroyed in Ukraine, with a number of firefighters tragically losing their lives as they battle to protect their country from the Russian invasion. More than 60 UK firefighters will join fire aid of volunteers as part of the team driving the vehicles across Europe, where they'll be received by the Polish State Fire Service before being transferred to Ukraine. Fire engines, helmets, thermal imaging cameras to assist when searching for individuals, generators, lighting, hoses, rescue equipment and thousands of sets of firefighting PPE are among the items being donated, Mark. The deployment of these donations is being supported by funding from the Home Office, as I said, the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office and the Fire Industry Association. Ian Moore, CEO at the Fire Industry Association, of course, told Fire Safety Matters, once again, the whole of the fire industry has come together to support the UK deployment of aid through FireAid, our charity partner. To pull this together so quickly and efficiently is a truly collaborative humanitarian response from the UK. Our members who've donated time, money and equipment have one aim. That's to work alongside our colleagues and help the firefighters in Ukraine. Ian's latest Industry Insight column for our print journal is focused on this very subject, Mark. So look out for that on page 20 of the May edition. What are your thoughts on this one, Mark? Well, I mean, we don't shy away from political comment on this podcast, but this isn't a political comment. This is a humanitarian comment. Honestly, who would have thought just six months ago 
we would see a terrible needless war going on, um, you know, almost on our doorstep. It's just a true tragedy. Um, you know, Brian, on a personal level, we, we've got clients and friends that are based in Ukraine across the fire and security sectors. And, you know, we are in contact with them and, you know, we, we pray for their safety. This news story that you said here shows the fantastic spirit that the fire sector has of coming together in times of crisis. It is a fantastic effort, you know, huge congratulations and, and thanks to Ian and, and everybody else that has helped lead this effort. It's much needed and it shouldn't be needed, should it? There are people dying, uh, firefighters dying in a war they didn't want and it, it's just horrendous. Uh, you know, in my lifetime, obviously there have been wars, you know, I'm I'm 37, but this one feels very, very real and very, very close to us. Um, you know, obviously we've seen other wars, but this is this is a war that many just can't understand. And there seems to be no reasoning uh, for it from a rationale point of view anyway. From and, and it's really unified the world together in terms of its support for Ukraine. Certainly we offer our best wishes to everyone in Ukraine and hope that this war comes to a close sooner because it's just needless bloodshed and you know it's fantastic what's happened here in terms of the effort to give them fire appliances and equipment um, which <laughs> they shouldn't need but they do need and there'll be firefighters dying trying to rescue people from buildings that have been destroyed from missile attacks etc it, uh, it's just devastating Brian but this is a fantastic effort, you know, huge, huge um, kudos to the people that have done this because it's, it's much needed and, and hopefully it's just a little bit of help and when the Ukrainian people deserve a lot more than a little help, in my opinion. So obviously our thoughts and prayers are with, with all of them and hopefully we've got something much more upbeat to say on this down the line and in the near future. But yeah, it's, it's an absolute tragedy, Brian. But uh, but what it does show in times of tragedy, in my opinion, it really shows the character of bringing people together. And the fire sector, once again, shows what great people you all are and have come together for as needy a cause as you're ever gonna see. So yeah, my, my hat goes off to you and uh, to the people that are driving those appliances over to Poland before they're distributed to Ukraine. Well, Brian, let's, let's go from tragedy to celebration now for a minute let's try and you know as our final news story try and be upbeat here so as you know brian we're sat together we are in the uh what was the rico arena and everyone's gonna stop calling it that now i keep being told because it's the coventry building society arena the home of wasps and coventry city um and i could go on about that topic for a long time coventry city's uh, storied history here uh, i'd probably start with uh oxford united's last minute winner here last time i came here for a football match which uh, my girlfriend who's a coventry city fan will love the fact i have uh, just mentioned but yeah, it's a fantastic venue, and we had a fantastic night. And, you know, huge credit to you, Leanne, and the team that, uh, that helped pull this together, and to, you know, corporate events, who were the production company and the venue itself. And, at, but it really brought the sector together, Brian. The, the amount of people that have supported these awards, right from when I launched them 18 months ago as a concept, it, it is unbelievable. I didn't expect 240-odd entries. We got it. I didn't expect over 400 in the room. Well, we got it. And the people supporting this event is, is the who's who of the fire sector. You know, we had the Fire Sector Federation there. We've had IFIDA. We obviously have the FIA as our key 
partnership, we run it in partnership with the FIA. And a huge thank you to Ian Moore and his team for doing that. Institute of Fire Safety Managers. You've got ISRM. You've got the National Security Inspectorate. You've got the Security Institute, SSAIB, ACES UK, BAFE. If that's just to name a few. And, you know, and a huge thank you to all of our sponsors, uh, which we literally couldn't have done that. And I am going to name them. I'm not apologetic for that because um, I'm very grateful to our headline sponsors, ACO, to Apollo Fire Detectors, to Asser Abloy, to EMS Group, to High Fire, to NCAB Group, to Safety Chair, to Side Rise, to Simpro, to TO Fire Safety, and to Uptick. Thank you for supporting this. You didn't have to, but you jumped on board straight away to do it because your values are the same as our values. Why did we do these awards? Well, it's certainly not a massive money-making venture. It's done because it's meant to celebrate the great and the good of the fire and security sectors. And that follows on nicely from the story we just talked about, tragedy there, of how people come together. Our listeners, the people we've just mentioned, deserve celebrating because you do a vital role in keeping people, property and obviously possessions in those properties safe. It's life critical and building critical what you do. And, you know, it can often be derided. And we've had tragedies that we've talked about in this podcast, going back to Grenfell. But so much fantastic work is being done. And this and this really celebrates you, the listeners. You're the people that entered these. You know, fire safety managers uh, from across the country entered these. Installers and integrators entered these. Fire safety teams and security teams and security installers, integrators entered these. I mean, over 240 entries, Brian, whittled down by judges to about 100 on a shortlist across 13 categories. And you and I didn't pick the shortlist or these winners. That was our, our judges, and they're all industry experts. It was people like Dr. Bob Doherty, people like Ian Moore, people like Dave White, Richard Jenkins, Alex Carmichael, Graham Ferris, those kind of people that were the judges. And a huge thank you to those judges, because I would not have fancied having to short this down, particularly in one category where we had like 40-odd entries. How on earth do you get that down to a shortlist of 10 with the quality that was in there? But... These events do what I think is the role of fire safety matters to do, and that is to celebrate excellence and innovation in the sector. And obviously security matters, which you're also editor of our sister title, to do the same for the security sector. And we all know the fire and security sectors are um, interlinked, and that's why we, we created the Fire and Security Matters Awards. And they'll be bigger and better next year, and we'll be opening registrations in probably November this year, I would have thought, um, and it'll be free for you to just again. But... It was a great night of celebration, Brian. We had Alistair McGowan as the, the host, who was excellent. There was a real great feeling in the room. People were just happy to be face-to-face. I was so happy to see so many industry colleagues and friends there and just chat and network and, and really celebrate what's good. And, you know, I've learned a lot through this process because I read every entry, and it was fascinating. So, you know, if you were there, thank you for entering. Thank you for coming. It means a lot to Brian and I and the team, so thank you. I hope you had a great night. Uh, the feedback I had was was great. And I'd urge all of you listening to this, this is the perfect way to get yourself, your team, a colleague, an employee, someone in your supply chain, recognised for the key role they do. So when we open these awards to enter for free, again in about October, November this year, 
please do, because next year the award ceremony will be back at the Coventry Building Society Arena on the 15th of June 2023. So, yeah, please do. But I just want to take a moment, Brian, to just um, say who the winners were and, and pay my respects to them. And I'm going to start off with a person that definitely deserved this award. It was our first ever Lifetime Achievement Award, which is sponsored by SideRise, and it was Stephen Adams. Stephen obviously relatively recently left BAFE. Unfortunately, Stephen couldn't be with us on the night because he was uh, already had an engagement. He recorded a lovely video. Um, Stephen's been a tremendous friend of Fire State Matters and worked tirelessly both when he was at the BSIA and BAFE. When I and you mentioned him as a suggested name to the judges of who could be the Lifetime Chimp Board, we didn't go past one name. That's just a fact. Everybody agreed, yeah, that's the right guy. He thoroughly deserves this. And when I told Stephen that, I think he was quite taken back. And that shows the modesty of the man. And he thoroughly deserves this. And what was nice, actually, was that Justin, the new MD of BAFE, also went up to collect the award on behalf of him. So, you know, as much as I would love to have seen Stephen in person, he already had prior family commitments, but thoroughly deserved that award, really did. And now I'm going to go through the other ones here. The Fire Safety Manufacturer of the Year, sponsored by NCAP Group, the winner was Advanced. You know, they're a fantastic manufacturer, Brian. Uh, the highly commended was ACO, commended was Siderize Insulation. Now, in the most competitive category of all, with 40-odd entries, was the Fire Safety Innovation of the Year, which uh, we sponsored, Fire Safety Matters sponsored, and the winner was Paytoll. Highly commended was Advanced, and the commended was TO Fire Safety. So a bit of diversity there on, on that. Um, winners commended and highly commended, but fantastic entries. I tell you, you will not find a more highly fought category than that in any awards do. Then there was the Fire Safety Project of the Year, Sponsored by Safety Chair. The winners was Hertfordshire County Council, who I know thoroughly enjoyed winning that, and well done to them. Highly commended was um, Emergency Evacuation Equipment and Training, 3ET Limited. We know Ali very well. Huge congratulations to her and her team. And then commended was the University of Leeds. Um, Peter Aldridge sent that fantastic submission in. Thank you, Peter. It was a fantastic entry. Then there was the Fire Safety Manager of the Year, sponsored by TO Fire Safety. Uh, Keith Todd won this in the Royal Bowler of Kensington and Chelsea. And fortunately, Keith was poorly on the night, so couldn't make it. I was gutted for him. But we have got the trophy collector on his half and are posting out to him. But Keith, congratulations. You did a... Oh, well, actually, well, who nominated you did a fantastic entry for you. Thoroughly deserved. Highly commended was Gary Jarvis from Securitas UK. And commended was Neville Tomlin from Southampton City Council. Again, really diverse list there and congratulations to those the fire safety team of the year which is sponsored by ems limited was fire exo congratulations to karen and her uh, team there i know she was absolutely delighted to win that and thoroughly deserved highly commended was leeds teaching hospital well, sorry leeds teaching hospital nhs trust again thank you peter for entering that and commended was hertfordshire fire and rescue service a fire installer integrator of the year, which is sponsored by Apollo Fire Detectors, was Jamie uh, Dawson of Gemini AMPM Limited. A, a brilliant entry um, from who nominated Jamie, so thank you for that. Quickly on to security categories. Uh, security installer integrator of the year, sponsored by Simpro. The winner was the National Contracts Team at Tailored Fire and Security Group Limited. Well done, guys. Great entry. Security Risk Manager of the Year, sponsored by SAIP, was Brook Knight Security. Phil Brewer's Brook Knight Security, I should say. Highly commended was Mark Taylor from Mighty Security. 
and the commended entry. This is a challenge for me to say, but she's a she's won many an award actually. Is Victoria Agubehi from Coca Cola, security team of the year, sponsored by Aseraboy, was the mighty and B&Q detective team. That was a fantastic entry. And this was a very highly contested category, actually, Brian. Highly commended. We had two, actually. We, the judges couldn't separate them. Amberley Security and OCS Group. And the commended was Securitas Intelligence Unit. So you can see some massive brands entering this. And, to, and they fought it to the bitter end in that category, as they did in the Security Guarding Company of the Year, which is sponsored by ISRM. And the winner was Mighty Security. The highly commended was Ward Security, and the commended was CIS Security Limited. The last two categories was Security Project of the Year, sponsored by our friends Aces UK. The winner was Aceraboy, the Click Programmable Key Access Control System. The highly commended was Securitas, which is a Securitas Intelligence Unit, and the commended was the International Foundation for Protection Officers Ethos File. And the final category, uh, which is sponsored by Security Matters, our magazine, uh, was the winner for the Security Manufacturer of the Year was Bandweaver Technology. Highly commended was Todd Research and commended with Asa Abloy. So huge congratulations to all of you. Thank you all so much for taking part. I cannot wait to put the pictures and the videos up. We saw some hilarious pictures being taken of people in fancy dress in the photo booth. And um, my diet was done no good from the uh, free pick and mix that we put on afterwards. And I definitely saw some interesting dance moves on the dance floors as well. So... Obviously a serious topic and of celebration, but great networking, great feel in the room, and a, and a really fun night. So I know you might have a bit of a sore head this morning, Brian, but hopefully you enjoyed it too, because you put plenty of work into this, and uh, I'm thrilled for you and Leanne and the rest of the team that it seemed to go so well. Well, I want to say, Mark, actually on a personal level, I think you deserve great credit for what you've done this year with this awards. Obviously, it's the first one ever, and you've been the chief cook and bottle washer on this, Mark, in all honesty. So great credit to you, and thank you very much. Well, it's not about us. It's a team effort, and what you do see in these situations, Brian, is I can be grumpy as hell on the run-up to these things because I want them to work, and I want them to be the best possible thing that we can to for the people on the night. People have spent their hard-earned money coming to these things to know we can celebrate, and they deserve a good night. And I'd like to think that we gave them a good night. And, you know, um, I enjoyed it in the end, Brian. I enjoyed it when it took place, and I definitely enjoyed it when I realised I hadn't made any mistakes putting the uh, <laughs> the winner's envelopes together. That's always... Uh, you, you check them four or five times, and you're like, yeah, I've definitely done this right, right? Yeah, of course I've done this right. I've checked it. But then you sit there and go oh have i have i so uh but no it was it was great and to see so many of our friends in the sector there together uh it's been a rough couple of years for everybody around the world and just the events like this can bring people together i think are important i really do um it i just think it adds to what we're trying to do and it was just great seeing people having a good time and, and networking so yeah i'm glad you had a great time and um and, you know, on to next year now, Brian. Uh, once the hangover cures a little bit, we'll start thinking about next year. And we've got fantastic plans that we're very excited to tell everybody about to do with this um, in the middle of the year before we open entries. So as I said at the start of this podcast, we're really a little bit different on this particular edition of the podcast. We'll be back to our usual format next time. But we wanted to give proper time to this next guest that we're interviewing. And that's Ken Bullock from Advanced. Because... 
you, Brian, hosted a fantastic webinar with Ken on flexible evacuation solutions to meet BS8629. And we were swamped with questions. I think it was like 100 questions. It was ridiculous how many questions that came in. And I always say, and so do you on these webinars, that it's really what you make of them, what these webinars are. And you should get as many questions in as possible. Don't just sit there on your hands. You can listen to the content and hopefully you'll learn and you'll get a CBD certificate for attending. But actually, we get a lot of engagement, which is what you and I ask for. We want you to ask questions. These experts are giving their time here for you to do it. And you did it in your droves in this instance. And, you know, we spoke to Advance about it. And, and you know, they are replying to these questions uh, that have been sent in. Because we always forward the questions on if we can't go through the questions. And in our webinar, Brian, it tends to be a 40, 45-minute presentation and then 15 minutes for Q&A. You can't go through 10, 12 questions in that time, let alone 50 or 100. So you went through a fair few, but we just decided that we'd actually get Ken back onto the podcast so we could answer, you know, about seven or eight more of the key questions that we didn't get time to answer. So that's exactly what we've done here. And, and it's, it's a fascinating educational interview about evacuation solutions to meet BS8629. So I hope you enjoy this next part because it, it certainly opened my eyes to a few things. But what hopefully it will do is it'll make you go back and watch the webinar on demand. Again, go to fsmatters.com or in your search engine, type fire safety matters on the main navigation, click on the webinars tab, and then scroll down. It's about the fourth, fifth one down, and it's titled Flexible Evacuation Solutions to Meet BS8629. Click on the watch for free button and please watch it because this is an absolutely key topic. And Steve Dillaway from Veritas Fire Support Services was also on that webinar and gave a really great insight as well. So, yeah, I'm going to pass over to Ken now. And I sat down with him earlier on this week, and here's what he had to say. Hi, Ken. How are you? I'm very well, Mark. Thank you very much indeed. Looking forward to the Easter break. Yeah, absolutely. That's when we record it at this time, just ahead of Easter. And, you know, we've been busy working together on stuff. Obviously, for those of you that aren't aware, we recently did a webinar with uh, Ken in advance, which was titled Flexible Evacuation Solutions to Meet BS8629. And it was unbelievably well attended. We had, you know, well over a thousand people involved in that and we were swamped weren't we Ken with questions we just had loads and we, we couldn't get through them all so we thought we would ask some of those questions that came in from that webinar today are you still up for that Ken? Oh very much so and I say it was great to have such audience participation on the webinar as you say time and time again it's about what the audience make the webinar and they make those questions and that interaction is fantastic to receive yeah absolutely and just because you missed the webinar doesn't mean you can't watch the webinar so we would urge everyone listening to that hasn't seen the webinar please do go and watch it you'll get a cpd certificate for watching it on demand it is free i'm not here to try and get any money out of you um you just need to go to fsmatters.com that's fsmatters.com Dot com, or if you can't remember that, Google Fire Safety Matters. And on the main navigation, when you go into the Fire Safety Matters website, 
is a button that says webinars. Click on that, and as you scroll down the page, you'll see one titled Flexible Evacuation Solutions to Meet BS8629. It has the advanced logo on it. Click on that, and you can watch it for free. But we did promise that we would get through as many of these questions as possible, and we are. We're going to go through some of them now. So these were some of the questions that came in. I'm not going to actually say the names of people that sent them in, but I'm just going to say the questions. So, Ken, let's fire away with the first one. So the first question was, like any new standard, there is a lot of talk about BS8629, but for those who haven't heard about it, can you give us a quick overview, please? Yes, Mark, with pleasure. As I say, it comes really out of the Grenfell Tower inquiry, and we know what a tragic event that was. And really, what, what came out of that was there needs to be evacuation planning for residential high-rise buildings, regardless of height. So don't get fixed on height on this. There's lots of talk about 18 metres, 11 metres, but you mustn't get fixed on height. And we were also asked not to wait for legislation. Um, Dame Judith was very keen in a report that legislation is slow, industry can be quick, therefore we should look to act a bit quicker and get and get product out that meets these needs straight away. So that's where not only BS8629 got published, but other things coming out for evacuation plans came through. So that's really all, of, you know, a quick summary of 8629 and where it comes from. So, Ken, during the recent webinar we did you on fire safety matters, you talked about updating temporary fire systems used to remove the walking watch and repurposing it for evacuation afterwards. What are the key things for you to remember on that? Again, I think, firstly, it's communication. You need to be communicating with your residents to make sure they know what's going on. You need access to their to their residences, their flats, to install these type of systems, but also risk assessment. So it starts with a fundamental risk assessment to make sure that's up to speed, up to code, and you know what you're trying to do. Is it cladding? Is it smoke uh, control? Because the, the, the smoke uh, barriers aren't in place understand what you're trying to do. Once you know what you want to do and you're ready to spend some money, then look at what you're going to do with it afterwards and then work with the designer to make sure you've got a system that meets those requirements. A very simple example will be the cable type. Um, in a normal fire system, under in a building under 30 metres, you'll use standard fire-rated cable. But if you're looking to use it for an evacuation alert system afterwards, you'd use enhanced fire rated cable because that's the requirement for that code of practice. So it's understanding what you're trying to do with it and communicate, communicate, communicate. And again, it's, as I said in the webinar, wireless options, hybrid options where you mix wired and wireless together all of those things play an important part in getting that, that right solution for the customer going forward. We know it's, it's a situation they shouldn't be in because of the, the building regulations not being perhaps strong enough to uh, prevent some of these things happening. But now it's about communication and making sure we've got the right products going forward. So one of the questions that came in, and they've taken a quote from you on here, said, it's not a fire detection and alarm system. Is, and they've said this is referenced a lot during seminars on this subject. But what makes it different then, Ken? Well, again, we'll start with some simple examples maybe where 
things are cabled very differently. Um, they're looking for an evacuation and alert system to be used well into a, uh, a developed incident or fire. So it's not something the Fire and Rescue Service are going to use just because someone's burnt the toast and they've been called, a, you know, there's a chip fire or whatever, and they've been called to deal with that. These systems are really designed for when the fire is well developed within the building. So we can't wire it like we would do a normal fire system. So we wire it in spurs or tees to have the common area with the, with a loop in it and then tee off into each of the flats or residents or wire each of the residents back to a common riser. So we can, we can wire it in a different way. We look at the system not having fire detection and alarm devices on it because they don't want unwanted activations. They want this sounder, this noise to come from the sounder only when the fire and rescue service have deemed the residents need to leave their building. And we all hear horror stories of where people hear sounders and go, oh, that's going off again and don't react to it. So this this system is designed very much to be manually controlled by the fire and rescue service only when they need to use it. And that's there. There's some of the sort of key differences that make it not a fire detection and alarm system. Okay. So another question that came in was, does the installation of an evacuation alert system replace the need for a BS5839 Part 6 system? Quite a key question, that. Yeah. And again, fundamentally... 100% no. An evacuation alert system is an add-on. So your fire detection and alarm system, part six in the flats, if that's what, what, what's deemed to be relevant for your building, will still be relevant because that warns the individual resident there is a problem within their flat and they should leave, close the door behind them, fingers crossed, the fire doors then do their bit and contain the fire for the 60 minutes that, that's required. Um what we should then do is have an evacuation alert system over and above that to warn the other residents when they need to leave their premises. You quite often read in the press um, things about, you know, the class, uh, people not hearing the sounders when they were operating. And that's the standard for a class six fire alarm system. It's only contained within the flat. An evacuation and alert system is there to warn all the other residents when they need to take action. So they need to stay definitely in place. And you may still have part of a communal alarm in bin shoots and other, other parts of the building as well. All still relevant, an evacuation alert system is over and above all those other measures. So the next question was, what is the current engagement with the Fire and Rescue Service for the operation of an evacuation alert system? And that's that's always a good question. and We always like that question because we all turn to the Fire and Rescue Service for guidance um, when, this, certainly, uh, when these systems are needed and how they're going to be used. So we're engaging with the Fire and Rescue Service both at the college level, LFB, NFCC, um, C level, all to make sure there's videos, um, promotional material available as to how these systems should be operated, used in the event of an incident, and make sure that the Fire and Rescue Service know where they're fitted and what they're doing. And it's all about training and education. And 
as I say, there's a lot to get around within the Fire and Rescue Service, and we've got programmes running both here at Advanced and at uh, other levels as well to make sure we were engaging with them as much as possible to bring help bring them up to speed as to these type of systems and what they do to save their fellow members' lives as well as residents. So this is a good question that came in. Commonly comes up regarding all aspects of the fire industry, but... Ken, what are the plans for evacuation alert systems competency? Can you give us an insight into that, please? Yeah, I mean, again, as you you hit it on the nail on the head in real terms, competency is becoming a big driver within all aspects of the fire and rescue or the fire industry in today's terms. And evacuation alert systems are no different. Um, BAFE has already issued or listed out its first um, third-party registration scheme, BAFE SP207, for those that are interested. And that's a modular scheme that allows people to design, install, um, commission and maintain evacuation alert systems and prove they're competent to do so. So that's a, a good way if you're an end user to make sure you're using competent people to do they, these kind of systems. Um, and BAFE have been on the case straight away with that. What is the question you get asked most often about evacuation alert systems then, Ken? Another classic. Um, really, why can't I use my fire alarm to do this job? <laughs> um, which is, uh, um, as we've already covered, they're not the same. They, they, they work at different points of, the, of, of a fire. So you can't use the fire alarm, whether it's a part six system or a part one system. We can't use that to do this role. This, this system, the evacuation alert system, is really independent and standalone. And therefore, that why, you know, using it as part of the fire alarm is the most common question we get asked, and unfortunately it's not so. And we can extend that out, actually, if you allow me to, which is we can't also use it to control things like smoke control, smoke vents, lifts, etc. We can't use these systems to do those either. These are for fire and rescue service to use as part of an evacuation strategy for a building and doesn't form part of a fire alert, an automatic fire detection alarm system. So that's probably the most common question we get asked and, yeah, not a simple answer. Well, I'll ask you one more just for now. And this is, it came in during, obviously, the webinar itself. What is the recommended sounder audibility within each flat or residence? I'm going to guess this one came up for a very good reason, and that's because there's two different requirements within the standard, the code of practice, um, for audibility. So what it um, goes on to start with by saying is you should have a minimum of one sounder per flat, ideally in the entrance hall. But you then need to actually have the audibility requirements will then depend on the size of the premises. So we start off with the easy one, 85 dB at the, at the bedroom door with the door open. So nice and easy in a single bedroom apartment, Bedroom door, door open, 85 dB. Obviously, if you've got multiple bedrooms, then you need to do the same same again. And then you have 65 dB at the, in the principal inhabitable room. So that's not the balcony as a rule. It's the one that's used for daytime living. So we haven't got to worry about bathrooms there. 
Um, but we have 65 dB in the principal inhabitable room and 85 dB at the bedroom door with the door open. So they're the two audibility requirements you really need to take care of and hopefully do that from one sounder just inside the entrance door. So obviously I would urge any of you that want to hear all the other questions asked and the fantastic presentation that Ken did. And as I said, the title of the webinar was Flexible Evacuation Solutions to Meet BS8629. You can watch that for free on our website on demand now, which is fsmatters.com and click on the webinars tab or just Google Fire Safety Matters. Go into our website, click on the webinars tab, scroll down and then you'll see an advanced logo down there that says Flexible Evacuation Solutions to meet BS8629. So please do watch it on demand. It was a great session. Um, now, you can obviously find out more information about Advanced if you want to find out more about their systems and the products they do. And they've got a fantastic product range. You can go to their website, which is www.advancedco.com. So that's advancedco.com. Ken, is there anything else you'd like to add? Any other ways people can get in touch with you personally or the organisation? What's the best way to do that? Again, you, please feel free to, to contact me directly, whether it's via LinkedIn um, or indeed uh, the website as address you've already given. Um, you'll also find lots of other useful information on, uh, we've done lots of little short films um, recently on all sorts of aspects of both our fire and um, evacuation products. So you'll find some good stuff on the YouTube channel as well um, if you uh, so would rather take your information that way. No, well, brilliant. Well, thank you for uh, giving us this extra time and giving a bit more bang for the buck for the people that came to the webinar by answering so many questions. They were so good that I just thought it would be a great way to, to share them. So thanks today, Ken. I really appreciate it. No, thank you for your time, Mark, as well. Thank you indeed. brings us to the end of this latest edition of the Fire Safety Matters podcast. Many thanks indeed to Ken Bullock from Advanced for expertly explaining the detail behind BS8629 and also evacuation solutions in general. Thank you, Ken. You can read more on the issues raised here and others by visiting the Fire Safety Matters website at www.fsmatters, that's all one word, fsmatters.com. We do hope you've enjoyed the content and found it informative. Please do contact us if there are any particular themes or issues you would like us to explore on upcoming broadcasts. You can do so on Twitter by using the hashtag FSMPodcast. On that note, do make sure you follow us on Twitter at FSMatters underscore MAG and also access our LinkedIn page at Fire Safety Matters magazine and website. Please do like and share the content of our regular podcasts and spread the word among your industry colleagues. You can listen to the Fire Safety Matters podcast for free on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube or Podbean. All you need to do is enter the term Fire Safety Matters into your chosen platform search box. We'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.